0: Thank you for listening to Legends of Tabletop. My name is Justin Steele, and I'm a fiction editor, and I'm delighted to be on here.
1: And thank you for joining us today, Justin. I'm very glad to talk with you, especially about Looming Low and the Shirley Jackson Award nomination that Looming Low has received for Dim Shores.
0: Thanks. It's um, It's been very exciting. You know, it was a project we put a ton of work into, so it's nice to see, um, you know, positive reception.
1: Absolutely. Now, this isn't the only one that you've done. I know that you've done several in the past that I really do appreciate, along with a perennial favorite, which is the children of Old Leach. And if you would care to expound upon that, that'd be great. Just for those of us that may not have been exposed to it. Where
0: sure. It? Sure. I um oh man, I I first, um, my first anthology was *Children of Old Leech*, and that came out with Ross Lockhart of Word Horde Press back in 2014. So, I get, yeah, it's been four years now, and um, I, I was always a big Laird Barron fan. And up until that point, I, I ran a blog where I did book reviews, um, author interviews, and whatnot. And that was the Arkham Digest. And you know, the blog was a lot more successful than I thought it would be in terms of readership. You know, I, I expected maybe a few dozen people here or there, and it ended up getting a decent a decent following. It was very surprising. And um it it helped me get to know a lot of people in the field and how how things kind of work behind the scenes. When I approached Ross with the idea, he really was enthusiastic. He had been Laird's editor at Nightshade Press. And once we secured permission from Laird and his agent, you know, we went forward with with that process. And it was a lot of fun. I learned a lot, Ross, you know, he was a friend and a teacher. It was a really cool experience. And that one was received really well. Also, which I don't know, it made me really excited and kind of hungry to do more. And then looming low. Um, wasn't as Jen wasn't as focused of um, focused of a theme. You know, the children will leech was basically stories in Laird barons kind of Mythos that he created, um, just allowing other authors to play in his sandbox. And then with looming low, Sam and I wanted to do something a lot more broad in general. So we kind of cast our net pretty wide and pretty basic guidelines, really. We wanted, you know solid, weird, you know, horror, weird, dark fiction. We were open to some fantasy and science fiction as long as it um, was dark and weird in some way.
1: You know, *The Children of Old Leach* was my introduction to Laird Baron, actually.
0: <laughs> so, <laughs> that's funny. Uh, a few other people have said that as well, um, and that's cool. You know, I definitely rec- like highly recommend his work to anyone. Um, you know, it's 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 a fun book. I think *Children of Old Leech is fun, if it, especially after you've read a lot of his stuff, because you're going to read and see. Um, see things mentioned throughout the anthology that are little callbacks to a lot of different stories of his and some don't actually call back as much to his mythos and stories as much as they do the themes. Um, but yeah, I'm glad you glad
1: you enjoyed it. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, I was also going to say, Oh, not only the Shirley Jackson award nomination, but, uh, Congratulations on being the winner of the This Is Horror Award. Um, oh, yeah. Yeah. That was really cool. Mm-hmm. They're a wonderful podcast. I, I find myself a humble listener to them. Uh, Bob Pastorella and I think it's Michael David Wilson. Um, yes. But, yeah, it's it's a very wonderful podcast that I do highly recommend as well. Um, and, oh, Do you have anything in
0: the pipeline right now with uh, Dim Shores? Right now, um, Sam put Dim Shores on a hiatus right now um, Mm -hmm. to focus on some things. This was a pretty big project. Up until we did Looming Low, Dim Shores would only do limited print runs of novellas. And these novellas were chapbooks. And uh, I think the first couple, he did a print run of 100, which sold like so fast that he decided to do a second edition of fifty or hundred, and ever since then it's been I think about two around two hundred copies, um, and pretty much everything you know would sell out. Looming Low was a project on a much bigger scale. I mean, we planned to take twenty stories and ended up with twenty six. We had a variant hardcover art, um, so it was a huge project. And I think after that, he you know Sam finished up another chapbook or two. I decided to take a hiatus for a little while, um, but hopefully Dim Shores will come out in the future. Um, I do have um, one thing in the pipeline with Word Ward yeah. that I'm allowed to talk about a little bit, um, and that would be um, reuniting with Ross Lockhart to edit. So that would be our second time working together. Um, and we've been talking about working together ever since the first book. Mm-hmm. And this concept would be... See, I'm also a big fantasy fantasy nerd, Mm-hmm. And um, I, I really like the intersection of genre, and I would really like to do um, an anth- We I had, for a long time, really wanted to do an anthology of stories that, you know, I, I guess it would harken more back to Sword and Sorcery, um, where it takes place in fantasy settings, but it its overall feel is horror.
1: Ah. And so it'd be so, kind of like a throne of bones, but not as... R rated. Well, some of
0: it might be pretty R rated. It really it really depends. <laughs> I mean, um, we, we we're still really early in the process. Um, I, I'm not sure yet on the exact date. We you know, it would either be late twenty nineteen or early twenty twenty, um, just to give some of the, you know, the heavy hitter authors um, even more time to write because I know some people are swamped and there's some people we would not want to do this anthology without.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: So we we have a author wishlist we haven't sent invites yet but we've been hammering out the details um so it's definitely gonna happen um like i said i just can't give you kind of an exact date but that's kind of a, the idea is you know stories and fantasy settings mm-hmm. that are just that very much evoke horror
1: Yay. <laughs> <laughs> now speaking of now the strange and, and fantasy settings strange eons I have yeah. harassed a few bookstores, both indie and chain, to get this on their shelves to no avail, and it kills me. So, what can the average consumer do in the meantime? Please tell me.
0: Yeah, the, I, I don't, ha- you know, handle any of the sales or anything, but I know that you know distribution is kind of difficult sometimes. Um, they do. You can order directly from the website. I know it's easier for some folks to, you know wait and order a few at a time and there's plenty of back issues so if there's you know one that someone wants to get and then maybe a few back issues that look interesting um you know might make more sense with the shipping um i know there's been talks about doing an an electronic version which i think you know would be very beneficial um and i'm not an e-reader myself but i know it's very convenient especially you know when when you look at many other of the magazines that are publishing kind of weird horror right now and there are mostly online, like Nightmare Magazine and, and whatnot. Um, so I'm not sure exactly if that's going to be in the pipeline right now. I do know it's especially hard for... Um, I've had a lot of Canadians <laughs> actually ask me about the Strange ions because the shipping's even more brutal to ship across the border there. And um, if I lived closer, I would just meet them and throw it over in a box. <laughs> but I'm not close enough. So I know that for anyone like you know up there who wants to order they should definitely order a bunch at a time just because the shipping's going to be ridiculous to order a single copy um and, and it's we don't put out enough issues that right now there's not like a subscription like you know we're not monthly we put out maybe just a, a few a year mm-hmm. um you know sometimes production is slower on one issue and then faster on another one so
1: now, as an editor, what would you say would be, would have been your editorial timeline of sorts? How did you get involved in the editorial process?
0: That's a good question. I um, I actually, my undergrad degree was in English, um, mm-hmm. which was funny because it was probably my least favorite subject in high school. I was really good at math and science naturally. Um, and I was always an avid reader, but. I guess by the time I was in high school and taking like AP English, sometimes I'd have to read some, some things that were very not interesting to me and then write essays that weren't interesting to me. And that kind of killed my love of the subject. And then in college, I was also very interested in film at the time. And I was at university of Delaware and I majored in English with a concentration in film. And I, I didn't really know what I wanted to do with it. Even then I didn't know that I would, kind of become an editor that kind of just came later and oh man i think around september october 2012 i started the arkham digest blog and it's still up i mean i haven't posted on there in probably two years but it's all still there and really i was just kind of i don't know i was just kind of at an impasse in life i was a little bored frustrated and you know one of the things i was real passionate about was a lot of what i was reading and it's kind of like when you go to the movies, you know, it's, it's fun to go with friends because some, some movies you want to talk about right after you see them, you know, there's stuff to unpack and, and sometimes books are like that. And yes. the blog, yeah. And the blog was an outlet for me. It was a, a way for me to just, you know, I read this book, you know, now I can talk about it. Um, and it just kind of grew from there um, organically, you know, sometimes um you know, next thing I knew, like some small publishers or authors were reaching out and offering me um, books to review. I was reaching out. I was becoming a little more bold and um, reaching out and asking them for interviews. And at the same time, I, I was kind of befriending a lot, um, like on social media. I guess bef- before that, I didn't realize, I guess, how accessible a lot of these personalities were, and it kind of just grew from there, honestly. And I. With, with weird horror, and horror and especially, I think it especially shines in the short form. And I like the novel as well. But in the short form, I think you can really kind of get a concentrated feeling of dread that sometimes is hard to stretch over the course of yeah. you know, a huge novel. So after reading a lot of anthologies, um, I was like, man, I think it would be really fun to, to do one. And when I pitched the idea for Children of Old leach that's, that's just how the editing started. It was just... I, I guess it was the right time,
1: mm-hmm. you know. Well, that that definitely makes sense, and it uh, offers a brief glimmer of hope to someone much like me. I mean, as I as I had shared with you uh, before, it's like when I went to the HPL uh, Film Festival. It's like I I pitched a book, and I I've never written anything. I mean, I've written short. Uh, like two pieces, but that's, that's it. Um, Let's see. And what else was I going to say? Oh, and uh, let's see. Now, seeing as there are a few aspiring writers that do listen to this podcast sometimes, should we remind them of a list of things that they should not do?
0: Oh my God. Yes. Yes, absolutely. Um, I, I've especially learned a lot once I started with Strange Aeons. Um, see, Children of Old Leech and even Looming Low, Invite Only, it's a lot. It, it's I definitely prefer to do my anthologies that way. With Strange Aeons, I tend to invite um, often as well. And every once in a while, I'll open it for submissions. And my number one pet peeve uh, as an editor, just the number one is people who do not read the instructions, the guidelines, the call for submissions, because w- when you open something for submissions, you get flooded sometimes with with stories. And the easiest thing to do before you send a story is, is, and the call for submissions isn't long, you know, I put like a paragraph or two. It's very short and simple. Biggest pet peeve, you know, people who do not read that. If someone sends me something that I blatantly say I do not want, I look at that as either being one of two things. One, they either did not read the call for submissions for whatever reason, or two, they read it and were arrogant enough to think that, oh, well, I know he doesn't want a mummy story, but my mummy story is really good, and I'm going <laughs> to change his mind. And either one is is a huge turnoff for me. Um,
1: or it could be <laughs> trolling you.
0: That's true. I. I <laughs> There's been a couple times. There's been a couple times I've I've asked people if they were uh, trolling with some of the stuff that was sent in. Um, I mean, you get some bizarre things, but that's honestly I would say the number one pet peeve. Um, Another big pet peeve, and I think I notice this a lot with a lot more often with people who self-publish. And I'm not saying that every self-publisher is guilty of this either. I just tend to notice, and I, I don't know if it's because there's some things out there that I think probably give them advice to be very aggressive with their marketing, you know, but social media is a very powerful tool. And I think another huge kind of turnoff is if I, you know, log on and I have some friend requests, I'm like, okay, I have some mutual friends with this person, you know, you know, all this person, you know, probably a writer or a fan of the field or something. And I hit accept and without any kind of interaction, there's all of a sudden, like, I'm invited to like his author page and his, Uh whatever page and stuff like that to me. And it's more like an etiquette thing. um, But, but that's stuff that, that, that professionals in the field do tend to notice. Um, So my big advice, you know, to people out there, um, you know, they definitely should like, my advice isn't to be shy by any means, but I I think kind of learning some of that simple etiquette, you know, it's, it's kind of the same. There's a lot of even groups on social media, like a Facebook group or on some Reddit, reddits um and it's fine to eventually maybe promote your own stuff sometimes but oftentimes you know it, it, they want you to be like an active member of the community first like hey here's this guy who posts on here often or pretty often and now he has something he thinks the community is interested in and they're fine with it but of course that one guy who just joins the you know the group and then every other day he just posts the same link to his book it's it, it's it's a huge turn off um yeah. professionally. It's just very bad etiquette. So I'd say that's another big pet peeve to avoid Um, as far as the actual writing process. um, You know, you know, I mean, I guess the big, and this is more of an advice instead of what not to do, but read, read a lot. You know, I think sometimes it's, it's very clear. I think sometimes when I get a, a submission that the person's maybe not a huge reader or maybe not reading some quality stuff he should. And I don't want to tell people what they should and shouldn't read. But if I'm, For example if i put out a call and i'm looking for kind of you know horror and dark fiction with a more literary edge you know and and someone who mainly just reads pulp you know and they're just writing pulp it's probably not the best fit but that also goes with kind of reading the submission and doing your best um the other big advice is just if you submit something you know don't query two days later about it that's another thing some people there's no patience there's a lot of constant querying and it's kind of like you know i'll get to it i mean i'm not offended if i'm taking too long and someone emails me to say they're withdrawing the story to submit elsewhere that's fine i'm not going to be offended by that but you know it only slows me down if i have to go through all these emails of people asking when are you going to read this and i'm like well you sent it a week ago i said it could be within a couple months um so those are kind of just the big the big things i think not to do and i think really i think a lot of them are kind of common sense um like I said, the social media etiquette I think sometimes just jibes with uh, maybe some of the aggressive advice, the aggressive marketing advice. I think sometimes people in the self-publishing field get. But it,
1: it's a little contradictory. Know. There, it's like you've got to be out there, and it's like, well, no, don't don't be out there like six times a day and on the same Facebook page spamming your stuff.
0: Yeah, there's a way to do it, you know. Um, and not to do it, you know. I think patience is a big key oh, in that's... all of this as well.
1: Um, I'm I'm going to interject very quickly with uh, I'm I'm just going to sprinkle these throughout. Uh, yeah. Video game or tabletop, which do you prefer?
0: Which do I prefer? Yeah. Okay, this is a good question because um, <clears throat> I am quite a bit bit of a gamer, PC over console, by the way. Um, and it's funny you bring this up because I, I do love tabletop gaming, but it's it's an, an activity I rarely get to engage in. Um, but it's really funny because lately I've been reading a lot of – I found an online archive of a lot of um, role-playing books from old editions and everything, and I've just been reading through a lot of the campaign settings and sometimes the adventures. And, and I get, like, a, a kick out of reading those. You know, I think I have every – fifth edition d&d product so far everything money cook games puts out um and i've never i've never ran or played a game of numenera but i've bought backed all the kickstarters my friends and i since we're all kind of split up now makes it a little more difficult we always talk about doing one online but then we end up like if we're all online we end up jumping into like a video game mm-hmm.
1: so just hop on steam I oh, I've yeah been, yeah i've i've been doing a lot of steam gaming as well um what is what is your favorite video game
0: Oof. that's a hard question um
1: sometimes how about I'll go how through. your favorite flavor of the week right
0: now right now right now we've been playing a lot of destiny 2 um and it's kind of casual it's kind of a grind but it's you know, it's fun when there's a group of us on. Um, I've always liked Rainbow Six Siege, and that recently had an update. Um, if, I, if I'm if i playing single player, I really like one game I've liked a lot lately was um, Darkest Dungeon, which just had an update. I love, yes. craft, I love Crafty an update today. Mm-hmm. Um, so that will be exciting. And I like some roguelikes and uh, RPGs and some indie games. Hotline Miami, which was like ridiculously kind of... Violin and really old school graphics and this awesome, like, retro wave. the
1: soundtrack, soundtrack.
0: to that. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, I, I, lo- I did, too. It was, I think, the, the first time I've ever burned a video game soundtrack to a CD to play in my car, you know? I just yeah. loved it that much. But uh,
1: Good house-cleaning music.
0: Yes. Yes.
1: Yeah. That and, oh, and uh, Wayne June it's a prior guest on this show uh did the voice work for darkest dungeon and he's been up to doing some more voice work for future uh future um expansions to darkest dungeon as well
0: hey he's um i mean he's the um i'm, I'm trying to think of the character's name in darkest dungeon he's the the ancestor is he the ancestor what which character is he um, he's he the narrator, right? He's the
1: narrator.
0: Yes. Yeah, but don't they call him the ancestor? I think I don't know, but whatever. He's he's he's, like he's great. That dog. It, that's one of the driving. I think um, like one of the big, you know, driving things of the game. It's really good.
1: Mm-hmm. Now, Star Wars, Star Trek, or Doom?
0: Which one? Um, you know, I I I like them all, but I I'll have to pick Star Wars because just as a kid it was like my first big nerd love you know like the books the expanded universe just you know everything until the prequels basically and then mm-hmm. i like the i like the sequel trilogy honestly i do um i can't stand the prequels and i think the spinoff movies are just okay but i'm still you know i mean they're all so different you know i mean star wars is fantasy it's it has some sci-fi tropes but it's fantasy and star trek yes. is science fiction and, yes.
1: and star you know, trek attempts to explain what's going on and when and yeah. why and uh, and star wars is just like space magic
0: and like light, but lightsabers are so cool i mean they are. i don't i don't think anyone's watched that movie and hasn't thought to themselves like i want one like, like, I really would like one of those. Yes. But um, Star Trek is cool, too. The Next Generation is what I kind of likes the most growing up.
1: Yeah, but, that in Deep Space Nine.
0: I didn't watch it as much. I, it just hit that, that... That was on kind of, I guess, a weird part of my life when I wasn't, like, really watching that kind of stuff. But, um, you know, The Next Generation is the one, I think, that really kind of kind of hooked me in there. And then I kind of went back and learned the originals and...
1: Everything. Okay. I totally agree with that. Um, let's see that uh TNG happened when I was in the eighth grade. <laughs> oh man. I'm feeling my age. Ah! Marvel or DC?
0: Could I say neither here? Yes. <laughs> I- you
1: absolutely can.
0: If we're talking uh, about comics, I would I would say What without would a doubt, you put
1: in its set?
0: image comics? Okay. Image Comics, absolutely. And I like, you know, some other stuff, Dark Horse um, and Vertigo. But Image yeah. Comics, I think, is the one with a lot of series I've just been enjoying a lot the last few years. So.
1: Okay. Awesome. Because I, I, I tend to stick with the top two because people are generally either one or the other. It's more of a binary Thing, yeah, but I,
0: I think they both have goods and bads, you know. Mm-hmm. I mean Marvel obviously like knows what they're doing when it comes to the films mm-hmm. and you know, the, the DC, you know, characters are such you know, like Batman and Superman are such like mythic proportions. However, I just maybe I'm superheroed out, kinda like I'm like zombied out, I guess, if that makes sense. You know? Yes,
1: because I'm kind of Star Wars. Almost.
0: Like like everyone this year is so excited that if you know, Infinity War came out and I'm just like Please, Hereditary, hurry up. I want to see this movie.
1: <laughs> oh, man. Um, oh, gosh. Sci-fi or fantasy?
0: I like both. Um, I think I'll, I'll probably say smart. fantasy. Um, okay. I'd, I'd say fantasy. But, you know, like I said earlier, I'm really big into anything that a little genre bending. Um, you know, we were talking about tabletop RPGs earlier. I don't know if you're familiar with Monaco Games and Numenera. But it's just a complete fantasy sci-fi bizarre weird mashup um, and I just adore it you know Gene Wolfe's book of the new sun it's like hey this is such a cool weird fantasy wait this takes I'm starting to see hints that this is actually taking place on earth billions of years into the future so it's like past science fiction back into fantasy it's just you know that's the kind of stuff I think I, I love love but if I had to choose one or the other um, fantasy I think okay and
1: that makes total sense now, this is this is kind of uh, stretching a little because you probably already have something like this. But what job, if you were offered it, would you make you immediately drop everything that you are doing to say yes to?
0: Oh, man. Um, on bad days at work, I would say lighthouse keeper. So I can just kind of go <laughs> you know, uh, maintain a lighthouse, read books, and... Uh, but I don't know. I mean, maybe, maybe fiction editing full time, or something um, in the gaming industry. Maybe depending what it is. It's a tough question. A tough
1: now, question. Uh, editing, because I I just say see this as a reader that proofreading is a is quickly becoming a lost art do you find yourself having to catch technical errors quite a bit, or are they pretty well vetted by the time that they get to you?
0: It, it really depends. Um, I, some some authors, I think, really tend to go over the manuscripts pretty, like themselves, with a fine-tooth comb before they submit it, and mm-hmm. others definitely submit things more rough, and that's fine. I mean, um, and, and it's weird because cause as, as a fiction anthology editor, sometimes I'm, you know it's more content editing you know like i i may have one author like yeah you should rewrite part of this ending like it just doesn't work or change segments of the story but at the same time in a small press world you know you're usually doing more things more than just one thing so oftentimes i'm also going through and doing the copy editing um and I'll, you know but i i'll make mistakes too there's things all definitely that won't pass by me just like if you pick up pretty much any big publish public publication you'll find things that have slipped through mm-hmm. i i Honestly, a lot of the authors I've worked with um, have definitely been much more on the clean side as it, as it comes to manuscripts. Um, and I think part of that maybe just comes from experience. I think the more writers writing and getting published and getting edits back, that they're probably picking up on even more of that themselves before they even submit it. Um, but you see it a lot. Um, it kills me a lot online. There's a lot of like, especially online, like, you know, articles um, and there's a lot sometimes that I feel like slips through the cracks and I'm like, this article's like, like hundred, 200 words. Like, you know, it's so tiny. Like you couldn't, like, there's no reason for it to be so riddled with errors, but yeah. yeah.
1: I've, I've sometimes caught those on my own things that I have done. So
0: yeah, it so happens. He, it, yes. you know, I, I try not to like, like even when I do a book review, I, I, try not to focus on too many mistakes like that. If it's really gratuitous, I'll probably say something like, you know, I I remember calling out an anthology of someone I liked once. Um, And I've even talked to the editor about it. And I was just like, you know, there was one story in there that was like a hot mess. And I was like, I'm really confused. I feel like this story is a rough draft that somehow was accidentally (laughs) subbed in. And and that was the case. But, um, you know, even when I review books, sometimes I know that, mistakes can happen um and things can slip by so I, I try not to be too harsh on that you know but it's, 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 it's it, yeah sorry it, i was just saying it's very clear though if a small press like anthology has has you'll see some that come out that might be so rough that you're like they no one no one went through this to yes. or copy edit like no
1: one you know yeah so
0: it does happen
1: and i, I, I I mean, again, as a as a reader, it's just something that it does frustrate me quite a bit when I do catch those. But uh, oh God! Oh, let's see. What's the first music album you ever bought with your own money?
0: Oh my goodness! <sighs> I have to think about it. Um, God, probably something that I don't even listen to now. Probably something embarrassing. Good Lord! I was. <laughs> oh yes. I was born in 86, so this would probably be like...
1: I'm so old!
0: This would probably be like uh, mid, late 90s, so it was probably something awful like Smash Mouth or something. <laughs> <laughs> I I honestly don't remember. It was something like... No, it might have actually... The first one that I bought with my own money was probably actually, I think, Blink-182, Enema of the First State, the one with the nurse on the front. Oh, yes. Yeah, I was in middle school. That's probably the first one, I think,
1: yeah. I ended up, oh man, I'm, I'm just going to share, too, because I ended up getting uh, Steve Vai's Passion and Warfare on cassette tape. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah. Oh my goodness. So let's see. What album can you listen to all the way through without skipping a single track?
0: Wow. Um, there's a lot, so I'll just narrow it down to one. Um, one of my favorite albums all of all time is uh, "Psycho Candy" by the Jesus and Mary Chain. It's from like nineteen eighty five, I think. Uh-huh. So,
1: yeah, it's
0: a good one. Oh boy. Um, I mean the Pixies, Doolittle, or even the you know Surfer Rosa. Um, God, there's a few you know Devo, uh, Devo's album. You know, are we not men? Uh-huh. Um, are we Devo? I like. I probably listen to that one like at work. Sometimes I put like my volume down and go through Amazon Prime Music, and I probably let that one play through like a hundred times the school year. So, mm-hmm.
1: so uh, oh gosh, so you'd say that Devo is probably your number one uh, getting things done soundtrack? Right. Um,
0: maybe it was just one that was easy to find for me on there, you know? Oh, okay. <laughs> like, you know, at on Amazon Prime is one of the first ones I really liked that I said, Hey, this whole album's on here. Let's hit play. But I I like music. I listen to a ridiculous amount of music and my tastes are all over the place. So.
1: All right. And, and I, I agree as well with that. Now you do have the power to create, if you do have the power to create one perfect movie or TV adaptation of video game story, what game do you pick?
0: Oh, a video game story. Oh yes. Oh, okay. And here's here's a confession to show you how bad of a gamer I am. Quick mm-hmm. disclaimer: a lot of games, even though like I love RPGs and everything, and they put some of them are so big they take so long that I'm the guy that plays a lot of games but don't always finish them. Um, yeah, so I'm I'm really guilty of that. Um, but I might have to say maybe Planescape Torment. It would have to be like a really long series or something, but I think it's 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 just another one that's just so weird and you know, interesting and you have very interesting characters and a setting. So I'll throw hey. that one out there. Maybe in claymation to make it extra weird.
1: Oh yes, that'd beautiful. What is the most agonizing career decision that you have ever had to make?
0: Like the like the worst job I've ever had?
1: No, the more. most agonizing career decision like i really want to take that job in somewhere but i can't because this this sucks
0: yeah i've actually not really had had that happen i um okay the closest the closest was when when i was 16 i had worked a couple summers at a grocery store and it Mm -hmm. sucked and I was like, well, now that I have my own car, my parents aren't driving me back and forth. I can drive a little further down to, you know, the beach town. And there's a lot of work opportunity there. And there was a I walked around the corner and, and in this like plaza. And then I look in this window and it was just like Warcraft and all this stuff. And I was like, Oh hi. And it was an internet gaming center, like an internet cafe with games, and it was all gaming computers. And I immediately was like, I have this is the perfect job and it was kind of a family business and you know they showed me around but told me you know we're not hiring anyone at this time cuz it's a family uh-huh. business but I'll take your email just in case um and that was kind of it was a bummer you know i was just like that would be perfect um you know about a month later or a few weeks later i did get an email from him and i did get to work for them for many years so it worked out but at Ooh. the time it was very agonizing um, otherwise I've not really, really had that situation, um,
1: that uh, to not really have a situation like that. I I would place you among one of the, one of the lucky few.
0: I've just, you know, I've, I came out of college and I've was working at my old high school and I've been there since I moved up, um, you know, I'm a school counselor at a high school that's like my, my day job. Um, but I guess I haven't really had that opportunity where I've really, sought something else like that um that something would hold me back from so i'm sure i'll know that feeling at some point
1: but i'm gonna go ahead and knock on some wood here (laughs) now what's the most gracious response to the rejections and setbacks that you have faced
0: um hmm
1: I mean, it, this could be anything regarding, you know, uh, have you written and submitted something and gotten a rejection? Or have you, or would you say one of the most gracious uh, reactions to rejecting something for a anthology? I mean, it, you can go on either side of this, fence.
0: Yeah, I mean, I've not... <sighs> submitted too much i mean i've been asked to do some things um i haven't really submitted like much of my own fiction writing because i i don't really write too much of my own fiction i don't have enough um in faith in my ability to to write as i do to like curate like i do as an editor um i've definitely had some tough rejections to make looming law was very tough because we invited way more than we could take and even though we were very open with the writers it's still hard to reject. Someone who you know you're you're still friends with some of these some of these people, so um you you just gotta try to not look at it as a personal way and I don't really know if this counts as an an answer to the question a gracious response, but I know like some of the handful of stories we rejected from that found homes elsewhere, so that made me very happy <laughs> um I did see one story getting um chosen for ellen datlow's the best horror of the year that i actually rejected from the magazine and i was very close to taking it so i probably rejected it for a weird reason because it wasn't a bad story but um you know i don't know i mean he you know the author was obviously very gracious about it when i rejected the story and i'm glad to see that it went on to be successful and i'm glad to see that i'm not like my judgment's not like you know it's not perfect either i can make mistakes, <laughs> but. Yeah, I'm not sure. I haven't submitted enough. Um, You know, most of the rejections I've gotten have been, if I've submitted something, have been form rejections. And, you know, that's kind of standard, though.
1: Okay. Now, we went over your first music album. How did you make your first dollar?
0: How did I make my first dollar?
1: Uh, Allowance doesn't count.
0: Okay, allowance doesn't count. Um, Probably, actually... (sighs) I had an uncle and aunt who lived next door and it wasn't like an allowance, but sometimes um, like he'd get my friend and I to, to help like if he had cut up and trimmed this tree and he paid, you know, we were like little kids, like elementary, but he had all the branches and stuff cut small enough. And if we hauled it off to like the kind of the thicket of woods behind his house, he, you know, paid us. So I guess that would probably be some of the first ways I've made money. That wasn't like an allowance. And then my first, like, actual, like, legit paycheck job was um that damn grocery store. <laughs> ba- um, I was bagging groceries and getting shopping carts. I was 14. Okay.
1: God. I scrubbed shit out of sheets. I was laundress at an asylum.
0: Oh, man. Yeah. How- and you were how old?
1: 14. Oh, wow. Like, yeah, one I mean, of those definitely- work permit things.
0: Yeah. Oh, yeah, work permit. I... I had to do that as well. I remember the interview. I remember the manager. Yep. I think he's. I think he's maybe retired now. He might still be there. I think.
1: Oh my goodness! Yeah. Now, now we've gone over the first dollar, first job, etc. Now we're going to we're going to go through how do you like to hit the reset button after a terrible day or a bad experience?
0: So what do I like to do to unwind? Yes um my ipod my old my old school ipod usually um i put it in i usually don't even choose a specific album i just put it on shuffle and hit play and you know if something comes on i'm not in the mood i just hit next and i just kind of lay back maybe i'll have a drink um my one cat or dog will probably be around soon you know and i'll just kind of sit back and pet them and that's that's probably i think the best way to really unwind. Because if, if I'm too too tense and worked up, I can't, you know, like like reading's not going to calm me at that point because I'm too f- worked up, I guess, to even focus on like the words. So yeah, probably music.
1: Speaking of filling your glass, I'm, I'm getting ready to plan for the next competition that's coming up regarding brewing. Um, what's your favorite poison of choice? alcohol
0: likes? General alcohol, or do you want like a favorite beer, a favorite liquor?
1: Uh, both. Do, like, how, how about both?
0: Li- liquor's whiskey, hands down, um, and I like bourbon, rye, and single malt scotch. Um, I, it's hard to pick a favorite between them because it really just depends on the mood. Um, beer, um, the last few years I've, I've been really into IPAs, but in the winters I really like Stouts, Porters, and you know some belgians beers but you know spring and summer ipas for sure
1: yeah uh any specific type of IPA, or no
0: you mean like uh like specific breweries or do you mean yeah, like bigger yeah. ipa double ipa because because i like all that um i have some really good breweries near me um dogfish head has been around mm-hmm. for a long time they do some really uh Unusual
1: different- stuff.
0: some of it works and some does not Yes. Um, but, you know, I, I do have a lot of respect for them and they've been around here, headquartered here forever. Um, there's a brewery called Burley Oak in the small town in Maryland near me. They do a lot of sours, which are really delicious and some other stuff. Um, they had this one IPA and it was kind of, it reminded me of like a Northeastern IPA. Are you familiar with that term where it's kind of hazy yes. and very like... It, oh, that one almost tasted like it was like mixed with f- like fresh fruit juice, even though there was no fr- it, there was no fruit. It was just the, the hops they used. The hops, yeah.
1: Dry um, hopping specifically can help with yeah. that a mm-hmm.
0: lot. Yeah, so I really like that. Um, as, you know, regular IPA, double IPA, Northeast IPA. I just lately I've been on a big kick. RAR in Maryland, Nanticoke Nectar IPA is probably been my easy to find go to around here. That's lately. popped
1: up in some stuff that I've been reading and talking with and such. Now, let's see. Regarding reset button, what song do you want to have played at your funeral?
0: Oh, goodness. Um, God, I'd probably pick something so ridiculous. So ridiculous. (laughs) Um, I don't know. Maybe um, that's something something I'd have to think about. I don't know. Maybe, I don't know. I don't know. Maybe something some of my gloomy, you know, post punk 80s, 70s music or uh I don't know, old dirty bastard or something. <laughs> just, just, uh, just to just make my family upset and uncomfortable for being being so ridiculous, you know.
1: <laughs> oh, here's one I did not ask. Uh if you could have one superpower, what would it be and <laughs> why?
0: I would say um like invisibility, but I feel like I'd be like getting into too much trouble if I had that. Like I would be like, you know what I mean. Um, I think flight obviously would be cool, or, or maybe even just like teleportation, like Nightcrawler, because um, he was really cool in X Men two years ago, and I was like, that looks like a lot of fun. So maybe, maybe I'll go with yeah. teleportation.
1: All right. Now, oh, let's see. We're we're gonna go ahead and go meta what question do you wish I would have asked you today
0: oh man um, I, don't, I don't even know I mean we've talked a lot about music and video games so I would probably say um, something about film maybe
1: okay. <laughs> now now which is there is there one in the theaters that you're raring to go see
0: right now no I saw hereditary twice um, okay. I wouldn't really be a to watching it a third time. But um, you know, I think that was amazing. So okay. and later this year, I guess I'll say this year, the one I'm probably most excited for to come out would be um, the Suspiria remake. I mean, I don't really know how it's gonna be, but the teaser has me intrigued enough that I'm looking forward to checking it out.
1: Oh gosh. I see there's a television behind me, but I never watch it. You know, the film really isn't isn't too much my thing. So yeah. that's that's a little sad. Now what book have you been really looking forward to this year?
0: There, there's it, a few. Uh the one I was one that had had just come out maybe a week or two ago was Laird Barron's new book, uh Blood mm-hmm. Standard. And it's different than his usual fare in that it's it's no there's no supernatural, weird elements to it. It's it's noir. It's like straight up crime fiction noir, but it's layered and it's very good. And, and it's tasteful
1: too. So, I mean, I yes. kind of, yeah.
0: Did you read it as well? Yes. Oh yes. yeah. Yes. I was, um I was a very big fan. I thought what he did was really fun with it. And um, I think um, there's a sequel he's working on. I think he told me, which I'm super stoked for the next book that I'm really raring to get my hands on is Paul Tremblay. Um, cabin at the end of the world and that comes out i think in like a week or so we're really getting close to that date so
1: absolutely um yeah i must admit with paul tremblay uh i have uh turned on a friend of mine to his writing and it's someone that i never would in a million years would have thought would have been a fan of his work but the subject matter of head flip Ghost, she's She's a counselor. So, of course. She... Oh, it's
0: fascinating. Yeah. 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 It's, he's really good at what he does. And mm-hmm. the new one, it's interesting because it's it's a kind of a sort of a take on, like, the theme of, like, the strangers, sort of, which is those home invasion horror movies, that type of thing, which is, it's not really uh, a style of horror movie that I'm, a, I'm very fond of. And it's very funny because I saw him read from this, and he said that he's not very fond of that himself either. So maybe that was one of the reasons I think he kind of decided, well, I'm going to do my own take on it, because maybe this is one I'd find interesting. And I saw him read from the beginning portion at ReaderCon last summer, and I was just like, it's so good and so tense. And, you know, I'm really, really eager, eager to get my hands on that one.
1: Yeah. You need both. My goodness. Um, so is there, is there anything else that you would like to promote
0: here today? Um, no, I mean, I, you know, looming low is what I have out. Um,
1: there's, there's so much, good,
0: yeah, there's, thanks. There's so much good to read in the field right now. So, you know, I think, um, I'll just, I guess I'll plug, um, a great place, I think for any kind of discussion or recommendations, um, for this is, um, on Reddit, weird lit, and horror lit, which are kind of moderated by the same folks, usually has some great discussion, and it's you know a place some people will go there for recommendations, and um, you know that that I think is a really good, friendly uh, kind of forum for that sort of thing.
1: Okay, well, thank you very much for taking the time to speak with us today here at Legends of Tabletop, and by us, I mean me, the royal we. Um, <laughs> so. I do appreciate it. Again, if if you do like what you hear, please like and subscribe to the channel. Thank you very, very much, Justin Steele.
0: This podcast is a proud member of the Legends of Tabletop broadcast network. For more gaming-related content,
1: please visit www.legendsoftabletop.com.